Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Biomass. We're in episode 184. Uh, Bates running a little late, but we do have some good topics here, so let's get started at the top of the list with Soraya Zell for an introduction. I am Soraya Zell. Um, I am a co-host here on the show, and uh, that's that's all there is to, to me. Have you found time to actually play games and prep for the podcast about games? Um, I tried Star Citizen 3.0 this weekend. So no. Yes. Does that count as a game, or is that just kind of like a tech demo It's ongoing? It's, it's a game. I landed a spaceship on a planet. I landed a spaceship on a planet, darn it. It was upside down. The ship was upside down, but I got out and I walked on the planet, and the ship so you, did not explode. So you're saying you didn't crash the ship, but the game still crashed? The game did eventually crash, yes. Okay, um, okay. As long as there was crashing. But, but I, I did land the ship upside down. And then I get out. Hey man, I'm, I'm calling this right now. At some point, some point, Chris Roberts is going to have to go into protective custody because there's going to be somebody that spent a lot of money, like a lot of money, on that game, and they find out it's really not a game. They're going to come looking. For. And it's it's from every country on the planet at this point. So there's nowhere I, for him to run. I'm, t- I'm telling you right now, he like there's some there's some Russian dude that has spent a lot of money on this thing. And he's gonna find out there's no, and there's like there's not gonna be a game, and he's like some large, like crew cutted Slavic dude named like Igor is gonna come visit Chris Roberts at one point. You watch. Fantastic. All right, Livy, you're up. <laughs> um, I'm with. Um, I do not blog about games, but I do. And we will talk about what you have been playing because we've been doing. Lots of busy work for Dungeon Crawl, and we'll get to that in a little bit here. But uh, Jay, you're up. Hey, I'm Jay. Uh, I don't blog, but I, I talk a lot on this show mostly. I do, in fact, play games and watch movies, which predominantly informs the content of this show. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I and I have done some homework. Uh, so yeah, that that's pretty much me in a nutshell. I'm the uh, the resident uh, Clint Eastwood at the podcast as I yell at people to get off my lawn, so to speak. Uh, other than that, I'm just happy to be here, and I believe tonight is 184. Now, I actually have something special for that. So I had to go into the Wayback Machine, and there's a couple things that jumped out at me. First of all, uh, UFC 184 was the first time I saw Rowdy Ronda Rousey fight, and she won in, I think, 15 seconds by armbar. Uh, I want to say against Kat Zignaro, and she got a like fight in the night bonus. I also remember that uh, 184, which is unlike most professional weight classes, 184 is a weight class in NCAA wrestling, whereas 185 is what most of the uh, professional wrestling or actual like professional combat sports, judo, jiu-jitsu, MMA, stuff like that, they use as their middleweight uh, weight class. Um, so those are my shout outs slash or not shout outs, but really my inane factoids about the number 184, uh, that I can sling for the show, uh, this week. It's always educational with Jay with, <laughs> I, I don't know where you pull this stuff out, man, but it's always impressive. I, I have a very large and deep reservoir of knowledge that does I, my superpower is that I probably know everything in the world, but my, my Achilles heel is that I can never access it at any point in time at a place of my choosing. So, so it's uh, I'm hell on the bar trivia game. You're the little bar, you know, get the little computer thing from the bar and you play the trivia game. I will slaughter people. I'm like Genghis Khan in a fucking Dave and Buffers. <laughs> but if you ask, if you just like pinned me somewhere and like the fate of the world is waiting on me to cut the what color wire, I'll be like, 
Red. No blue. It's ah! <laughs> awesome. All right, sounds good, man. Um, and I'm Pokey Draven. I help host the show here, and I do the Dungeon Crawl uh, Let's Play series with Libby. So we've been busy with that, but like I said, we'll touch on that a little bit later. Uh, the thing I want to start off with, though, is that uh, yesterday, Libby and I went and saw Thor Ragnarok. And in which, have you both seen it as well, guys? Yes. Yes. Okay, well, that's good to know. So we can probably go into full spoiler territory. It's been like four weeks or something like three, four weeks since the movie came out. So we're just going to plow right through it. So if you, you know, we, we gave you some time, but if you still haven't seen it yet and you're worried about spoilers, you know, you'll have to skip ahead in the show here, but uh, let's, let's get started. So um, what did you guys think in general of, of the flick? Like, is it, uh, and I know we kind of talked a bit about before that, you know, you thought it was probably better than the first two Thor flicks, which I, I would agree with. Um, but, you know, uh, like, Livy, what, what were your kind of general thoughts on it? Um, well, I didn't like uh, this, this one kind of re- uh, for them. <laughs> I know it's terrible, but I just kind of, like, swallowed them so I could understand the Avengers. But uh, so when you're like, let's go see Thor. Like, um, but it was not bad. So I was... Uh, pleased that they tried or didn't try but they managed to get uh, i'm gonna say hulk planet hulk kind of infused in there so got that out of yeah i think i I liked it yeah i mean i i I agree i thought it was was much better than the the first two i didn't care for those so much this one was uh was really enjoyable the tone shift was very apparent like from the very first scene when he's kind of hanging there by the chain and you know and and kind of pulling almost like a guardians of the galaxy uh kind of gag with him kind of spinning around that sort of thing. So, you know, the, the total shift was, was good. I felt that some of the jokes were a little, a little bit of a flop, like, uh, like that scene in the beginning with the, the chain, like the first time it goes around was kind of funny. The second time I was like, okay, come on, let's get on with it. You know? Um, so there were, there were some kind of some flat moments with the humor, but I think that, uh, when they did get it right, it was really, really funny. Like, um, the, the part that had me, pretty much rolling in the theater is when uh towards the end when they're kind of on the bridge going to um the bifrost and uh everyone's kind of fighting off the hordes and fenrir's on the bridge and in banners like all right well you know you want to know who i am so he's, he jumps out of the ship and you know you think like hulk's gonna come smashing down on the bridge and just you know kick ass and, and banners like limp chicken wing body just hits the hits the bridge like rolls over a couple <laughs> times like like I, it was the yeah, funniest was like, damn part oh, of that film. Oh yeah. I I don't know. I have got I've got to say when uh, the 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 gladiator scene and it really wasn't the fight that had my interest. It was watching Loki's reaction to to Hulk in the arena. Yes, <laughs> was phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, that's what it feels like. Yeah. <laughs> <It was> like... <laughs> You know, because we've like, all we've all been waiting for it this whole time, you know. Oh well, it was it was like that look of like actual like Hiddleston's a pretty good actor. He had a look of like real fear, like you could see this like it was almost that you know sort of I'm I'm scared to death of dogs, and suddenly you know Caesar Romero, you know Caesar Milan, and like 55 dogs just fucking walked in the room, kind of thing. It was hilarious. You just see he just turned sheet white, and he's like, oh, oh. <laughs> like I want to be anywhere but here right now. No, that was that was great because as soon as he was like, "Well, I haven't seen the champion yet," and, and the audience knows by now who the champion is, and you're like, "Oh, dude, <laughs> you're in for a surprise with this one." Yeah, that 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 whole bit was was fantastic. And same with um, God, I forget the character's name, but the the blue rock guy that that's kind of 
Korg. Oh my god! Like his little, just like, oh yeah, you know, man, it's cool. You know, it's uh, that's you know, <laughs> you know, that's the that's the director Taika Waititi. I, I I had heard that, but that's no, he was he was great because he was so like. <laughs> Just like matter of fact, like, oh yeah, so and so's dead. I stomped on him. I was carrying around because I felt bad the whole time. That is absolutely what he sounds like in real life, too, by the way. (laughs) It's not even a voice, that's just what he sounds like. Yeah, oh shit. And well, the the funny thing is, um, you know, it's been, I've caught this in in an interview or two, and so I did did a little digging uh, last week. About 80% of the dialogue in that movie is, uh, is actual ad libbed on the spot. They give him kind of a general direction. So that's where some of the humor is really good. And it also, you said it kind of falls flat and that's pretty, that's pretty indicative when you have a, a lot of, um, you know, sort of kind of good, you know, come as you are, go, uh, kind of make it up as you go type dialogue. And that, I, I think that actually helped a lot because the times where the conversation and the humor hit was like just smashing it. Uh, no pun intended. And at times that it didn't, it was just like, and eh, that's probably the best thing they got out of, you know, three or four takes or whatever. Yeah, for sure. I, I actually didn't know that that's pretty interesting, but that does make sense why some of them were just, because I will say that when the humor worked, it felt very natural. Like it, right. that's what right. you would expect it to come out. But uh, yeah, there were times where I'm like, eh, okay, let's move on. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't quite there. Um, I, it, it was, it, I would have to say it was overall, the general tone was, was uh, quite quite good the improv stuff you know you could tell probably worked really well and, and for the record you know steven strange your dr strange versus loki hilarious love that <laughs> i've been I've falling been... for 30 minutes <laughs> oh, shut up <laughs> and they're like okay you're gone this kind of throws him out like just chucks him halfway across by like okay we're done here you know you had a good run um no i i'm i'm actually eager to see more of dr strange because he's um i like I like Benedict Cumberbatch and he does a good job with it, but uh, no, that was good. Um, I also love the conversation that Thor has with the Hulk and he's like, Oh no, 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 no. Like Hulk, you're my favorite. Like that banner guy, he's boring. You know, he's just all brains (laughs) or whatever and and whatever. And Hulk's like, okay, yeah, we're friends. And then then, 10 minutes minutes later, later. he's talking to to human banner and banner's like, Oh no, banner. Like I, you're my favorite. Hulk is just like a a muscle head. I don't even like him. Like you're, you're my favorite. I love you and your, you know, your PhDs. It's great. And banner's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really nice of you. (laughs) I'm like, Thor is such an asshole. Well, you know, for the, for the, uh, you know, probably the, the 15 minutes of screen time that, uh, that you have Bruce Banner, I thought, I thought that was a really, really well done job, you know, of, uh, in terms of like just spot acting right there. So uh, it was actually pretty good. Mark Ruffalo is really good. I enjoy him a lot as, as Dr. Banner. I think he plays very well in the Marvel universe. And frankly, I like, I mean, he's the best Bruce Banner that I've seen, you know, of the recent iterations of the Hulk, you know, I, I, I think, I think Edward Norton would be, would not fit in the MCU style uh as a mcu as a character very well and I, and as as much as i like uh good lord uh the other australian actor that played him um uh, eric bana as much as i like him and i do he he is also would also not have been a good fit for the mcu style hulk so overall is it's actually pre- it's actually i i enjoyed how that that little almost uh it was almost i'm not going to say it was a comedy it was definitely uh you know an action movie but it was very entertaining, I would say overall. Eight out of ten with Thunder again. 
Yeah, and I mean, um, so how'd you feel about the, the story and how they kind of split it up? I know Libby kind of mentioned that they had the Planet Hulk um, mixed in there uh, um, well, that's with like, the Ragnarok, well, with like the I, pacing. I, well, there's, there's two things going on here, and I think Livy spotted it very well. There's um, They did kind of crush in some of the Planet Hulk stuff. So one of the problems they have is the Hulk is not entirely owned uh, in, in terms of its movie rights by Marvel. So there's, it's, it's one of these, it's one of those very weird gray area kind of uh, characters. So they've, they've already come out and said that they can't really do a, um, like a solo Hulk movie that th- there's some light. There's one, there's a little bit of licensing rights, but it, they could probably work around it. But two, that character doesn't really work well by himself unless you, dr- you really kind of progress the character, you know, i.e. he's got to be able to talk and do something. Uh, and that's, that's what kind of made the other the other Hulk movies not that great. You got some Hulk screen time, but it, but it really becomes almost like a Transformers movie if you have too much Hulk and he's not and he can't interact as a character. So what they basically did, uh, and Ruffalo he's he's talked about this you know, probably less than a month ago in an interview. It was pretty smart. He said, "Okay, look here's here if we were going to do a Hulk movie, here are the things we would have liked to have done in a Hulk movie." So they're going to split that character arc for the Hulk over about three Marvel movies. And this is one of them. And that makes a lot of sense in terms of that specific character. So I thought, I think if the other injections of the Hulk go, I I think that's good. And the fact that they progressed him to the point where he can actually speak a little bit, you know, and and he can actually interact as a character. I think that's, that's great. Uh, It wouldn't surprise me at some point if we see gray Hulk, uh, which is basically where he's, you sort of closer to the mind of Banner in the body of a kind of a smaller, not quite as powerful Hulk. That's he's gray, obviously not green. Um, I think that's probably where it'll start going at some point, just so you can have better interactions with him. In terms of the Ragnarok storyline, I actually kind of like it. Um, it's not really tied any in any way to a comic book storyline, at least in the way that it unfolded on the screen. But it made a lot of sense, and it kind of worked out pretty cool. And it opens up again a lot of neat options for this co- for the cosmic side of the Marvel universe. So, like, where do all the Asgardians go? What are they going to do? Are they going to you know, settle somewhere? Where do they go? Uh, and you, you know, you got to see uh, Thanos' ship at the very at the at the very end. So, I, I think I think overall it was pretty solid and did a pretty good way of you know again kind of doing some world building a little bit with uh, uh, with the MCU so to speak. And they did a fairly deftly i think you know in terms of how they set it up i also like the fact that it did describe you got a better picture i think of what dr strange in the marvel comic books is in this movie than you really did in his in the dr strange solo out yeah it, which i enjoyed that movie it wasn't it wasn't you know killer but well worth my time and, and money so to speak but you saw a human being that basically can go toe-to-toe with loki pretty easily that's about right you know in terms of Power, you know, relative power levels and, and, and sort of what his role in the Marvel universe is. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I like that they kind of managed to get the, the Hulk stuff in there. Um, that was really good and they kind of have to, but I think it works well kind of for the reasons you described. <clears throat> I'm obviously not a, a, a buff at, at the, the comic books, but like the Ragnarok storyline was, was quite good to a point where I, I kind of wish there was more of it in the film. Um, I felt like they, they, they did try pretty hard to weave it in kind of as the story on, um, the Hulk story was kind of playing out, so you kind of felt like things were progressing in, you know, a, a, a canonical timeline. Um, 
But at the end, I was like, I kind of wish they spent a little more time talking about the backstory of, of Thor and Hela, because because for one, Kate Blanchett did a great job with Hela. It was, it was really oh, yeah. good. Oh, yeah. Um, best, best villain yet, I think, in the MCU. Yeah, which I was like, I wish there was more of that, because like the, the Hulk stuff was great, but I'm like, I just, the film could have probably been like, I don't know, like 20 minutes longer and kind of went a little bit more into it. Um, so that part felt a little, a little quick. I wish they could have pulled that out a little bit longer, but you know, runtime is important. So and kind of see why they, they might've tried to trim it up. But you know, overall the pacing still felt pretty good. Even if I thought they could have went a little bit more into the Valhalla stuff. Cause that was, that was really interesting, but obviously it's, it's gone now. So we, we may not get it. Um, for some time, but I, I do hope they kind of dive more into some of the Norse stuff that they were kind of hinting at, at the very least with uh, Hela's history and the backstory and that sort of thing. I thought, I thought it was absolutely pretty bomber. Hey, what, so what'd you guys think about like the general, like the action, like the, you know, sort of, you know, big comic booky, you know, sort of moments of the movie. What you guys think it worked well for you? Did it do okay? I think it was pretty good. Um, I think it was, it was about what I expected. And there, there were some, some really good moments. I like the, I really like the the actual gladiator fight. Um, that was a really good kind of comparison of, you know, you see Thor, but you, when you actually put him up against the Hulk, you really kind of get a good idea of like, this guy's no slouch, you know, he can actually hold a fight um, against the big guy. So that was pretty good. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I beat you handily. That doesn't sound right. But no, no, I did. it was yeah, easy. No, it, it I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I've, you know, I will have to say, like the opening fight scene against Surtur was really, really good. And and for the record, when they start playing "Immigrant Song," you know, by by Zeppelin, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. dude, they're making it rain <laughs> with the soundtrack in this place. I don't know how much money they were paying, but they paid some cash money out for the soundtrack. Um, I do kind of like the uh, so the three in in my mind the three big kind of action, you know, comic book panel scenes were the initial fight, which was a great stage setter for the movie, I think. And for, and, and in like 15 seconds of dialogue as he's walking up to Surtur, he basically describes, you know, the MCU to date. It, it was a really good, you know, set a little pithy set of exposition that kind of you know, just jumped right into the, into the story, which worked. The middle scene, you know, the, AKA the gladiator fight, really, really good. And then the last one on the bridge, that I thought was pretty pretty badass, you know, and, and I really like the super powered up sort of Thor that you don't really, that you haven't, they haven't really shown him like that. And I thought that was a hilarious line was, well, you're, you're the God of thunder. You're not the God of hammers. <laughs> so, yes. I, yes. That was and, good. You know, when he hits the deck and you see the lightning come around on him and, and he just starts laying waste to the, to those dudes. That was pretty, that was pretty legit. Um, Carl Urban's character of scourge was Pretty good. I enjoyed that quite a bit, actually. Yeah, that was that was actually a pretty. Uh, <laughs> he, he was kind of interesting. He kind of panned out um, a little bit differently than I thought, but I thought he actually did a pretty good job at, at playing that part of kind of the. Well, I don't want to die, um, but I'm not really okay with what's going on. So he kind of had a bit of a, a redemption at the end there, and that was that was pretty yeah. good. The crowning moment of Austin. The uh, yes. Well, I, I will have, to, and that was actually very much like he had a moment like that in the comics where he basically turned on. He, he sort of turned on. Uh, it was, I think, the Enchantress at the time. But it's very similar, and his death scene was was not that dissimilar in the comics, where he basically had this at the very last point point of his character, you know, character's life in the comics, and he's he's like dead, dead now. Um, he sort of like washed away all of the all of the. He was like like your standard goon, you know, sort of super powered goon kind of guy, and he kind of washed all that away in about three comic book pages, uh, and it was actually really good. But uh, that that. 
opening line where he just looks, Behold, my stuff. <laughs> and I was like, This is like a fast <laughs> And I was like, Ah, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> he has no idea what he's doing, but it's great, you know. So yeah, I, I think the film was was really quite good. The the music was really on point. Um so I, I had a good time. I think there was probably some room for improvement, but overall, well worth my time and money. So I'm probably going to give it uh, an 8 out of 10. What about you, Livy? Uh, yeah, um, 8 out of 10. And what about you, Zoe? Uh, about the same. Okay, well, so Thor Ragnarok, 8 out of 10. Pretty good experience. So uh, if you haven't seen it yet, go check it out. It's uh, well worth your time. So moving along here, uh, Zell actually came to us with a story we have not covered in quite some time regarding Pokemon Go um, and how it kills people and costs a lot of money. So apparently there was a study that was done in uh, Tippecanoe County in Indiana, and they basically took um, a, like a snapshot of a time period, 148 days, which is about five months, of basically all the damages caused by Pokemon Go in that time period. And so apparently there were a bunch of property damage, a um, bunch of injuries, and two deaths that were caused by people playing the game or you know hurt by people who were playing the game. Upwards of 5.2 to 25.5 million dollars in those five months. So if you actually average that out over the whole population of the country, in five months, Pokemon Go caused arguably two to 7.3 billion dollars worth of damage between property and life. Um, yeah, that's impressive. And this is probably why they were like uh, implementing the new rules in the game where if you're moving too quickly, it doesn't work because people were driving and hopping out of cars and running each over to, you know, play Pokemon. So, you know, we hadn't touched this one in a while, but uh, that's that's pretty interesting and horrifying that it caused that much damage overall. Yeah, I mean, this is this is one of those stories that um, touches on, uh, you know, a little bit of a, of a, a different topic for me. Um, but I don't feel that uh, companies in Silicon Valley really care or recognize the damage that they'll that they can do with what is very simply to them a product decision. And so to see, you know, we we talked about obviously the specific one-off incidents uh, when Pokemon Go came out. I saw some of the same sort of thing um, when uh, Ingress, the the pre previous game that they made, uh, came out. Um, but it was really interesting to see an actual study saying, yeah, in just this one county, there were millions of damages caused by Pokemon Go alone. Um, and that's significant. And I think that there's there's something interesting to be said there that, you know, a game could have, you know, the game could have either been designed um, in a way that mechanically didn't make sense to play while driving or perhaps even intentionally was designed to be played while driving so didn't require user interaction while you were driving or something like that that you could maybe be more competent uh, cognizant of what the game is going to be done with when you're designing designing the mechanics um i just found it really interesting yeah i mean i'm oh, sorry go ahead jay now just, what, what were the kind of damages they were having like well, i mean what what was the general trend of of instances that were creating the uh the, you know the, the problem i guess well for the tippecanoe county numbers they said uh covering property damage injuries and two deaths it, it was mostly people playing while driving uh, or not paying attention walking around and being hit by people who were driving oh, okay yeah, yeah i can totally see that and like i said that's why they implemented that change in the game where if, if you're the gps detects you're going over a certain speed it goes okay you're, you're obviously not walking around so 
we're not going to let you do anything until you slow down. So people just drove very slowly and still did it, but you know, defeating the whole purpose to get you out and walk, but at least it, it probably helped kind of curve some of those numbers. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that makes, that makes pretty good sense. I was, like I said, I, I assumed it had to do with probably, you know, people, you know, wandering around a park trying to chase a, a Pokemon or Pokemon as I refer to them and like getting clipped by an ice cream truck or something. Yeah, it's stuff like that. Or people just running things over or crashing into buildings and other several reports of people just driving horribly because they're not thinking and not looking at, you know, the actual roads. So, you know, it's, it was a lot of car related issues. Yeah, one of the one of the times I actually saw like a, a helicopter camera, like they were they had a they had a video of this guy driving while playing Pokemon Go. And it was it was just amazing to watch. Um you know, before they eventually pulled him over, and I guess didn't give him a ticket. <laughs> they they didn't give him a ticket. What? They didn't. Um, in the case of the video I saw, they gave him a warning. But yeah, it's just wow. like you, you can you could just see like how risky what that person was doing was, and had anyone else been on the road, how likely it would have been an inc- you know a danger. Now, what I ended up seeing is a lot of people would drive like in pairs. And so you'd have one person driving and then the person riding shotgun having two phones, one in each hand, flipping the screen frantically as they're, you know, turning the corner around, you know, the, the, the gas station trying to catch something, uh, trying to play for both people at the same time. It was, it was ridiculous. I think it's died down quite a bit since then, but for a while there, it was just absolute insanity that the things people were doing to, to play this game. Is that game still a thing? I thought, I thought it was pretty uh, much kind of dying out. It's still a thing. It's just not in the news every day, you know, and I'm, I think the actual yeah. player count has surely dived. But yeah, it's still a thing. Yeah, I think they, they had a few stumbles like they had that. Uh, I forget where it was, but they had like this event where it was like, hey, you fly out to this area. of the That, was, Chicago, that was in Chicago. That was, yeah, in down- Chicago. Horrible. It it was like- downtown Chicago. And they ended up having like giving out apology credit to everybody for for the event. Yeah, apparently nothing like absolutely nothing worked. They they totally underestimated the. I guess I, they were supposed to bring in like Wi-Fi specific to the park or something, right, Zell? And none of it worked. Or yeah, there, it was all kind. The networking of was it, completely yeah. unable to handle the number of devices that were there. Was there, and it just died. And they had a whole lot of angry people. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's still a thing. It'll probably continue to be a thing for many years. Um, I mean, Ingress, which as it came out in 2012, um, Ingress is still going. Um, it's not, again, not super popular. I think a lot of people who are of that sort have gone to Pokemon Go, uh, but it's still out there. It's still a game that is played, just not as much. All right. So yeah, the moral of the story is do not drive while playing cell phone games because you could actually kill someone and cause millions of dollars of damage. So, uh, be safe out there. So moving along, uh, Jay, you said you had some news regarding, uh, Gazillion and Disney with their new Marvel game. Yeah, so uh, Gazillion is the publisher that puts out Marvel Marvel Heroes, and they've, I think they've been out for going on, uh, I want to say almost four years on PC, and about five months ago in June they launched on console for uh, PS4 and the Xbox One, um, so not not too long ago, and here very recently, uh, like in the last week and a half or so, or week rather. Disney put out a, uh, a notification that uh, that they are cutting ties with Gazillion, and then Gazillion Entertainment uh, basically posted up on Twitter, and it kind of you know, flashed through the news services early last week that uh, that they were basically shutting everything down and laying off. Now, the initial statement came out that they were going to shut the game down on the 31st, and then as and as part of their initial statement, they were um, 
They said they're working to remove all monetary transactions from the game immediately because uh, you had a scenario where, you know, it's a Diablo style game, so to speak. So microtransactions, you know, for, you know, different hero uniforms, unlocking heroes or getting X, Y, and Z uh, crafting materials or whatever, you know, that's, that was kind of their stock and trade business, so to speak. Well, they were immediately trying to take, take that off. And again, this game literally just just launched in June, and they had a a pretty big rollout, at least on the PlayStation. I'm not sure about Xbox, but there was quite a few ads for it. It was in game, you know, pumped up, you know, a little bit at least in system, uh, and they had a, a whole lot of a whole lot of push for you know like uh, console console founders packs and all this kind of stuff. You know, ten bucks and you get the Avengers, you know, Marvel uniform, you know, MCU uniforms, all this kind of jazz. And uh, the the game was actually not bad. I actually played through the whole thing, and it it was pretty decent. It was it was absolutely not a it, it was not super buggy at all. Very few bugs at all, uh, if any. Uh, serious serious ones that I found. And by and large, you, you had a pretty wide and deep roster, a whole lot of voice acting in it that was very character specific, including some real deep cuts. It was like if you're a comic book fan, it was you know it's probably worth your time, you know, worth your time and your money. Is but you know it's definitely like the uh, I think it was I don't remember if it, was, if it was totally free to play or not, but it was not much if anything to just download the game itself. Then you quickly you know you know, chunked in some money to unlock some heroes that you wanted or whatever, but the trick to this is they gazillion then, you know, said, Hey, said, we're going to shut this down on 31st of December. Then very shortly after that, uh, they were like, no games going offline this, you know, like the following or this, this week rather. So the day before Thanksgiving, pretty much every gazillion employee was put on the streets. They got no severance pay and their medical shut off at the end of this week. So a week later, I, I I have not seen something. Well, I mean, it happens in game industry, you know, you know, not infrequently, so to speak. But the speed at which this happened, Disney cutting cutting them off, and then them going basically like literally tur- just turning the lights off all that fast. I have not seen in a while, and it wasn't nearly as te- telegraphed as you could normally see. Something like this, which is a fairly well known property, and you know, Gazillion's not like. It's not like they're a fly-by-night company. They've been around for a little bit. Uh, and Disney usually doesn't do that either. So I'm, it makes me really wonder what was going on that, that created that that situation. I have no idea. I've been digging around. There's very little that you can find on it right now. Um, but that was just kind of a, you know, sort of a breaking type of uh, bit of game news that was occurring in between our, you know, last show and this show. That's, that's absolutely pretty dynamic right now in terms of what's going on. That's that's crazy. Like, I mean, this happens, like you said, but for it to go like, uh, okay, we're shutting down in a month and a half. Actually, it's going to be today. Um, some something weird must have happened, you know, beyond just yeah, we're pulling the plug, you know. So I'm kind of curious, you know, if they were told, no, you shut it down now, we're done. Um, that's that's absolutely wild. I, I feel really bad for those people because I mean, it's just usually you can kind of feel it coming, like you said, like for layoffs, like eh, we're not doing so good, things are kind of feeling weird, you know, may not last long. These guys are probably like, yeah, we're we're doing fine, and then boom, actually, I'm out of a job right now. That's, that's yeah, really well, shitty. I mean, five, and that was that's what that's what kind of threw me is like five months after a console launch, you know, so they they obviously sank some pretty good. So some serious developmental money into the console launch for the Xbox and PlayStation. And then they rolled it out and, and I don't know what their numbers were. I don't mean, but 
it's uh, it's a little surprising. Uh, I mean, it's 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 kind of interesting. I, in fact, I think let's see the PC version shut. Let's see MarvelHeroes.com looks like they shut down at least that that website probably about a week and a half ago. So I very very uh, very much interested in kind of what was really going on with that one. Now, what it makes me wonder is if Disney is like okay, all right, we're, we're about to figure out this whole video game thing because they've got, if think, we kind of talk about this with Star Wars. Between Star Wars and Marvel, you have two of the most video gameable properties like ever. So they're probably trying to maybe, I assume maybe trying to consolidate and kind of get their shit together because they, at one time they were, they were, they had a, like a Disney sort of in-house game studio that they, I think they've divested. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if they're, they're maybe trying to get a better, centralized handle on all this kind of stuff so i i don't know it's uh kind of interesting to see how, how this how this sort of plays out though it does make you wonder because i mean even after um you know this mess with battlefront and ea if disney's looking at that going yeah we might just want to handle this ourselves you know it, it's it it when there's there are companies extremely invested in the image of their of their company and their ips and stuff starts looking kind of nasty on other other fronts, they're going to probably, you know, be defensive and kind of turtle up and pull everything back in. So I could see them maybe start pushing that direction. I'm not sure what their agreement is with like EA for Star Wars, that sort of thing. But, you know, uh, I, I'm very curious and eagerly watching to see how Disney handles a lot of these these properties moving forward. Because like you said, you know, they, they might just take it all in-house again. Yeah, well, in a, a mild update related to... Um uh, related to this, couple a couple of folks have actually started to take initial legal actions. Reference the battlefront, like the loot box system that was kicked off by the battlefront discussion. Uh, the government, you know, at least a senator or a, some form of a a senator uh, in France has actually opened a uh, an inquiry into in terms of predatory practices by EA, and Hawaii is starting to mm-hmm. uh, take a look at it too. So. Uh, Again, I'll be kind of interested to see how, how this works out. And, and again, it's pretty well confirmed right now that uh, that uh, the CEO over at Disney gave the uh, the head of EA a phone call when all this was breaking and was I apparently gave them a you know ceasefire freeze. You better get your shit together, kind of message. Yeah, no, that's that's a real interesting conversation. We'll we'll have to be covering moving forward because I think that you know this this is a strong direction the market was going. Um, within the gaming community for this is how we're going to monetize and you know overwatch really kind of brought it to the forefront and everyone else pretty much piled on soon after um but it's it's you know this kind of hit critical mass faster than i thought it would and i'm i'm real curious to see how the governments react to it and then how the gaming industry kind of takes a look at it because they might be you know (laughs) even if they don't get regulated they might go we might want to reconsider how we we perform our business because it, it did not do well for Battlefront 2. Their their numbers for sales are not looking good. Yeah. And, and that's that's obviously an extreme case, but it is still a, we should be careful going well, that direction with you, things. You know, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, though. I, the interesting thing about that is because of the names involved. So EA, one of the biggest game game houses in, in current existence, one of the at least most well-known, let's put it that way. Disney, one of the, probably the biggest corporate slat entertainment you know conglomerates like business conglomerates of all time and then you've got 
probably, you know, arguably the largest I, you know, IP in terms of something turned into consumable products in services and goods and entertainment to, in the form of Star Wars. All three of those things, it took something that big and it was like, okay, we something's got to go on with this. And, and like I said the other week when we were kind of giving an initial review of Battlefront, that game is not not as bad as the reviews it's getting. But right. when they the way it was rolled out and the, and how all this unfolded, that it's permanently marred, like permanently marred. Uh, that game will it will likely not get any better. Like they'll they'll I guarantee they're going to make a great effort on the on the next DLC or two because they they probably about had the next one coming out in December already built when the game was launched and they were probably well into working on the second one. I, they're probably going to take a great swing at those to try to recalibrate things, but it's just, it's not going to recover. I can already tell you it's not. Um, and I think Disney sees that. And they also are quite well aware of that. They don't want anything negative hitting the airwaves right before their movie, which is apparently one of the, one of the key points that Bob Iger, he's the, the CEO over at Disney explained uh, in his, in his missive. Cause apparently, okay. So th- there is a, uh, there's par- a partial leaked memo that came out that was uh, generated by Disney, uh, by their uh, chief, you know, their head of consumer products and interactive media uh, that outlined their concern as a corporation and then the, the, their CEO, Bob Iger's concerns. And then, uh, again, several pretty, pretty key, even not like non-gaming media outlets like CNN, in fact, they're, uh, they're confirming that Bob Iger had a personal phone call over to the CEO of EA to describe their their concerns and, and what they what they would like to see happen with this. So I'm curious to see how this goes. I suspect that if people will likely start to recalibrate slightly back towards a more Overwatch style, um, which is a pretty a pretty solid way of doing microtransactions that aren't that don't gate you to gameplay and actually drive that sort of dopamine like addiction process uh, that a lot of these other raw gambling activities probably do. So um, again, pretty interesting to see how this kind of all blows, blows out together. Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm real curious to see where it goes. So kind of tangent, tangentially related here. Um, want to talk about destiny two and specifically uh, a story that came out regarding uh, experience throttling. And this, this is re- um, related because the way destiny two works is that once you hit max level, you still, generate experience points by doing things in the game, doing strikes, doing public events, that sort of thing. And so when you fill up your experience bar, you, you know, quote unquote, level up, your character's level doesn't increase, but you're rewarded with what's called a bright engram, which is Destiny's version of uh, a loot box. It, it includes various cosmetic things, emotes, shaders, um, ornaments for weapons to change their appearance, that sort of thing. They don't really affect gameplay that much, but it's, you know, it's more of a, like, like you were saying before, like an Overwatch style of, uh, of a loot box, which is working pretty well. Uh, the issue is, is that uh, last week there was an event called Clarion Call, and the idea was, hey, if you go to this particular area and you do um, like public events with uh, members from your clan, you'll get double experience. So you can try to kind of churn through and get more bright engrams in prep for the season change, which will come with some, you know, they're going to remove some of the cosmetics and put some new ones in. So if you wanted something in particular, you could, you know, get more experience, get more bright engrams, and, and, and unlock it, which is fine. It was a cool idea. What happened, however, is that players started to notice that as they were playing this, you know, these events, these public events, um, which are kind of the primary means that people use to level up um, in Destiny, 
that like they get like 5,000 experience and it would fill like a large chunk of the bar. Um, but later on, they were realizing that completing the event wouldn't give as much experience or at least as much, you know, of the bar as they were expecting. So what they noticed is that the, um, the amount of experience, or at least the, the value of the experience they were getting, um, by doing these events over and over and over again was decreasing over time. And so they kind of called Bungie out on it and Bungie came out and was like, yep, that's the way it works. We were basically, if you're doing certain kinds of events that are easily spammable over and over and over again, the game is designed to decrease the amount of experience you get to kind of encourage you to go do other things that are, you know, a little different, kind of force the player to change it up. And uh, they said, we're, you know, you're obviously not happy with this system. We're not happy with this system. So for right now, you know, we're turning that off. Everything will just give straight experience and, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go from there. Um, and it's, it's kind of interesting because players already knew about a different kind of throttling, which was um, the chests you could find, that after a while, if you opened too many chests you found randomly laying around, that eventually the rewards would kind of drop off um, to prevent you from spamming the thing over and over again. But people were pretty fired up about this experience thing, and I kind of wanted to get your guys' thoughts on it, if you think that this was actually a problem, or if it was an issue with how it was communicated, or, or what you guys kind of think. So I'll kind of open it to the floor. Mm, I, I would... I. I... I guess part of me is like uh, it, it, right now in the age of uh, a lot of skepticism being thrown on game companies, you know, reference how they monetize things. I I don't necessarily think that this was nefarious on the part of Bungie. I I think it was probably a miscalculation on their part. So it, you know, when you play, when you go into a given like kind of patroller, like a big an open space in Destiny. You know, pick whichever one you want, you know, pick whatever planet you want to go to. You can just in the course of wandering around, find a whole lot of things to do very quickly. And the reality is you can get to, to the level cap of 20 quite quickly, like quite quickly. So the game itself, one of their design cores is that they... What they were trying to figure out is, I, and I, by the way, I have zero inside information. This, I'm kind of going off of a couple of interviews and sort of my feel from the game is what I think they're going for is how do you build a game that was fun to get through the campaign, and it was that that was actually you know pretty good. The last boss fight aside or whatever, but it, it was fun to get through that. Um, and then instead of and then instead of turning it into a ceaseless grind fest. How do you structure the game where, you know, it's a it's worth about three to five hours of gameplay steadily a week and, and so that it stays fresh for you? And then if you look how they time certain events and stuff like that, that, you know, it gives you a reason to come back every other week. Um, I think that's what that was a design principle they were going off of. And the XP thing, they were basically just, I don't think it was necessarily tied to a, a, a direct or, or there was not directly tied to a uh a reason for you to spend real money eventually on the bright engrams to get shaders and, you know, and, and, sh you know, buy sparrow bikes and spaceships, none of which affect gameplay at all. Uh, because you actually get quite a few of the, a few of those items through normal gameplay. So uh, if it, if it was directly linked, it was a really bad call on their part because it's not helping. It wouldn't help them that much. Not that many people are just, shit money left and right on bright engrams you know after talking to people like i don't know of hardly anybody that spent actual real money on 
uh, you know, what, what is the, the silver to get the bright engrams? I, I don't know of anybody yeah, in that. Silver, yeah. So, because you can get them pretty regularly. I mean, and, and you get an XP, uh, like your first three levels per week, you actually get accelerated XP. So you can basically earn three bright engrams a week pretty easily, which is enough to keep most people happy unless you're just literally playing every day. So I think it was a uh, maybe, not well communicated, but then again, not a lot of games come out and say these kind of things anyway. Um, because in, in theory, most games, when you level up, you know, even if you were, if you were tracking by levels, like I'd be like level forty by now if it was still going up. But most games, it's exponential. It's not like an even tier of like every five thousand XP you get a level. It's like five thousand, then six thousand, then seven, then eight thousand, then it's like twelve thousand to get the next level. So it, that, in a way, is an XP throttling too. You just make the pool bigger that you got to meet. Um, even if your gain is the same, so to speak, but you're still grinding more. So I, I'm not, I'm not willing to go full blown like grassy knoll, you know, like conspiracy theory on this one. Is I, I think they're just working out how does the game economy work, so to speak. Uh, because like I said, there's a shitload of stuff to do in that game if you do it, and you can very quickly outpace the content of the game, you know, uh, so to speak. Right now, I think for me, the biggest thing is not that they have a that they had a cap or or like a, a diminishing return system diminishing return systems are very very common um you know i've played a good amount of world of warcraft world of warcraft has had diminishing return systems since you know 2003 that's not unusual i i think the big issue comes in that it wasn't well disclosed and it does involve something that could be purchased with microtransactions and if it's if it's going to involve getting loot boxes it should be publicly disclosed how it works. Well, and I think that the reason they, they were so quick to be like, nope, we're turning it off, is because they're looking at EA thinking like, oh, shit. If they, if they think we did this because of the loot boxes, we're going to, you know, we're going to take it in the face. So they're like, let's just say that's not what we meant. We turned it off. Don't worry about it. We'll come up with something new. That I agree with Jay. I don't think it had anything to do with that. I, I see it as this is the game community that brought you the loot cave where players will literally stand in front of a cave and shoot blindly at enemies that are spawning out of it for like six hours straight to get things to drop. Like the, the gaming community as a whole, and this is actually a really good talk I heard one time where um, someone said the developers have a responsibility to protect players from themselves because players will often play a game, especially RPG style games in the way that is the most efficient, even if it's not actually fun. And then they'll complain that it's not fun. Yeah, so, <laughs> I, I I know those people. I'm friends with one. He doesn't get why I don't do things in the most efficient way possible. I'm like, because that's not fun. This is more fun. <laughs> and it, but, it, it, does, it, it doesn't register sometimes. I get it. Yeah. And, and I, I think that Bungie's thought on this is, we're going to see if we can quietly make spamming things less less rewarding over time to encourage people to stand up and try something else in the game. You know, uh, like for example, like crucible, which is the PVP game mode is a very metered matches last pretty much a set amount of time, give or take a few minutes that doesn't have that throttling on it. Um, it's the stuff that's like really spammable. Like you can sit and just like my brother, for example, will sit for like six hours and grind public events. It's probably not really that fun, but it's the most efficient way of doing it. And they're trying to discourage that behavior by going, if you change to something else every so often, you'll get back to that full reward system. I think that was kind of their intention because they know how the Destiny community is. 
um, or gaming community in general. But um, I don't think this is nefarious either. I think they were just trying to tr encourage people to try new things within the game. Um, and I think Destiny has struggled a lot with trying to balance the game around a hardcore player base that will sit and grind the game for 10 hours a day every single day of the week versus people who might sign on and play, you know, two, three hours every few days and trying to make the experience feel good for both those groups. And they're struggling with it. I think that they they're kind of bounce back and forth on several different things on which kind of group they're appealing to. Um, and this is just kind of another example of them trying to find this awkward gray area in between that's going to work for everyone. And it, you know, I, I don't think it's like, a, it's not like I said, it's not nefarious. It's just, you know, maybe not the best way to handle it, but I can kind of see where they were coming from in my, my own speculation. Well, I just, I don't see why it's, is there, it feels like they were trying to cater to two, to two different type or different types of players. So I'm just going to compare, say, you know, your brother who, my brother, I'll say, who doesn't uh, have a job that he goes to every day and he doesn't have any kids. So I play maybe Destiny once or twice a week. So if I played it once in tw once or twice a week and I got the same payout that he did and he paid plays every day for about eight hours and it was this slow, like, drop every now and then, I probably wouldn't feel like I'm getting my time's worth if I can only play a few hours. Now, if I can get on there once a week, play a few hours, and feel like I can keep up with everyone else I play with on the weekends mm -hmm. that plays once or twice, then I don't feel so bad. Because my problem was always I couldn't do the raid because I was so many light points away, and I could not grind fast enough that I had to be the person to go stand in front of the stupid cave and shoot the, the same shit over and over again and dumb stuff. And so they didn't quietly say they didn't want people to do it. They basically said, stop. That is, actually, <laughs> We're you know going what? to try and do this a different way. I, I think Livy, Livy's spot on. There was a, there was a Bungie update. Uh, I, I read their, you know, I get the, the little Destiny app, you know, they get their, you know, This Week in Bungie thing. And uh, they 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 kind of said that they were very much into trying to how to how do you set up a weekly, basically a week they call it the re weekly ritual the re weekly routine of play and that's how their game list if you look at their playlist and your you know how you get and my god like think about it, like you get all these engrams from all these dudes and dudettes so to speak every week for relatively innocuous stuff that you can knock out in a couple hours. Um, and and to Livy's point, I have not yet done the Leviathan raid. I tried it for the first time last night. Didn't get anywhere, by the way. Um, and I have the pretty much I'm on par with anybody that's like that smacks the Leviathan like, you know, three times a week. Like absolutely on par in terms of, you know, gear wise, you know, all this other jazz. I just I don't have I don't have a, you know, some purple and white shader that, that you get from the Callus raid. So from that aspect, if you think about it, I think she, I think Livy is spot on. Like they were they were trying to figure out, like, how do you how do you bring a little bit of more in inclusivity and parity in terms of the game construct. The flip side is those power hitter gamers that, that, you know, they're a smaller audience, but they're very vocal and they often come with wallets. Like that's that, you know, evens things out in a weird way. This is, this is a bit of like, you know, Bernie Sanders gaming is, you know, we need to spread the wealth, so to speak. And it's going to piss some people off, you know, like, well, I'm working harder, but I'm not getting the same results kind of thing. Well, I'm not making a political statement. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just trying, I'm just trying to try, try to describe it in this you know, kind of general terms. Um, now on that note, uh, here in the last couple of days, like I think right before the weekend, there was a big, uh, this week's destiny update, Bungie update. I recommend you guys take, take a look at, uh, Luke Smith and Mark Noseworthy. All right. So Luke Smith's the, he's the, uh, the game director, 
and noseworthy is the um, things like the live director uh, or the, the creative director or whatever. They're basically the two big cheeses over Destiny. They're making a big update this week personally, uh, and they're going to cover a lot of stuff. Like basically, here's all the feedback we've gotten for you specifically re related to economy updates, like how they want to update the economy uh, in terms of vendors, how you get gear, to the token system, uh, and le how legendary shards work and how you you know, basically how you invest into getting new rewards for weapons and armor, all these kind of things in general gaming. So there's probably a lot of this that's going to be touched on this week's in this week's Bungie update. Uh, so should be should be pretty cool, uh, particularly because it's going to hit right before the Osiris update, uh, which I think goes live on the I want to say the fifth of December the or something. Fifth, like that. Yeah, yeah, next Tuesday. Now, one of the the best line that I've seen so far is outside of the XP thing is there's a general meh sort of feeling about the economy of destiny and it's basically it was really summed up very well by a guy on a reddit thread he basically said we don't really have any vendors we just have a bunch of cryptarchs so cryptarchs are the people you go and you basically have them decode an engram for you and that's pretty accurate you can't actually pick anything of value that you want like you could in the last game in d1 like you could go to banshee and pick a very specific type of weapon or gun at a commiserate light level to you and you could work for that, you know, and, and or you or you could you know, actually target the type of things that you wanted to get from a vendor. So whereas a cryptarch, it's literally like an RNG. I'm like rolling the dice on the, the funny colored, you know, polygon and it gives me a, a thingy. So I, I suspect not in Osiris, uh, but probably in a in a subsequent update that there's going to be some changes to these things. Uh, and a lot of it will go back to how do you respond to a player player desires about the economy and then re ultimately progression, like game progression, because I think they are going to increase the the level cap in the Osiris DLC. Yeah, it's going to be really, inter really interesting to see kind of how they try to deal with that issue, that disparity between the people that want to play 60, 70 hours a week um, versus those who just want to pick it up every so often. I think you're right that the game has shifted more towards... Um, the more the people who just want to play or only have the ability to play a little bit each week, but want to feel relevant. Um, and that's, that's making a lot of people kind of upset or not, maybe not a lot, but just they're making some people upset because they want to have that really deep. I can play this end game forever um, and feel like I'm making some sort of progress. And I think that these changes coming up with the next live stream should be really interesting. Um, really looking forward to see what they come up with for, for the, the Curse of Osiris expansion. Um, especially with some of the stuff that's coming out of the YouTubers. It looks like they actually flew quite a few people out to Bungie Studios and had them uh, kind of look at the whole expansion and kind of get some gameplay recording they could post, post up on YouTube, obviously, with some limitations. You can't see everything, but um, some of the thoughts are kind of mixed from what I've been seeing. Is, is that kind of the vibe you've been getting as well, uh, Jay? Yep, uh, pretty much. I mean, it's it is a small DLC. I, I've I've heard some people trying to describe it in terms of like the D1 uh, DLCs. I, I, my understanding is about three hours of gameplay. Uh, so probably you know kind of like House of Wolves type. Yeah. Probably, you probably get. I, I'm I'm guessing you know four or five story missions. You know somewhere between five and seven story missions uh, that kind of take you down a path. But apparently. So in addition to that, there is another patrollable area uh, on Mercury, which is described, I think, as a big disc or a big a big circular area that you move around in. Um, not really sure what that means or really a sense of, there's no sense of scale in terms of those descriptions, but it's all Vexy, you know, for the most part. Um, they did they did comment that 
the character building and sort of the like the background context lore story building that they do around Osiris and some of the things going on in the, in the Destiny universe was exceptional. They said that was actually really really good. Uh, other than that, I th- I'm, my understanding, like I said, they're gonna they're gonna kick some kick the level cap up, and I believe there's a you know a you know a handful you know a good a scoop of uh, new exotics and equipment coming in you know, mm-hmm. you know purple you know basically region specific blues and purples and probably you know I'm gonna guess you know uh, a handful of exotics you know two three exotics for each one of the classes that'll come in with it. Yeah, it should be interesting. I, I always feel like some of these smaller expansions are always, you know, I, I, I try not to think of it too much in, you know, price for what you get. Um, I always feel they're maybe a little overpriced, but they seem like they're trying to make this have a little more physical substance to it by adding, you know, uh, a new area to actually move around. And it's not just uh, reusing everything you have already with a few new rooms, you know, latched onto it. So they're making an effort. Um, I'm, I, like I said, I'll, I'll begrudgingly pick it up because I'm like, uh, okay, you know, um, I've got a bitch about always buying expansions for Destiny. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll give it a shot. And that looks like that's coming out, uh, like you said, on December 5th. So not this Tuesday, but the, the following Tuesday. So uh, looking forward to seeing how that goes. And, you know, hopefully it, uh, it's a pleasant surprise. I, I like to keep my expectations kind of low for these. Um, so it's not a big like, oh, you know, um, but uh, it should be good to see. So we'll, we'll definitely check that one out. So kind of moving into our last topic here, and we'll we'll get Livy to help me out on this one. Um, so as you're probably aware, we do our Dungeon Crawl series where we usually play horror games that are, you know, Resident Evil, Amnesia, um, that sort of thing. And, you know, I die a lot, and it's, it's all fun and good. Um, but I did want to try a different kind of game, and I had mentioned it before, but Nier Automata, which is the uh, sequel to the game Nier, which is kind of a lesser-known PS3 title that came out many years ago. Um, but this one had been getting a lot of a lot of buzz. Um, it was one that was kind of on my radar because I had played Nier. I really enjoyed Nier. It was a very unique game, um, and so I was I was going to play this one eventually. But you know, it, the buzz eventually got me to um, you know uh, go and pick it up. It was actually a YouTube video that was titled, you know, Nier Automata, a masterpiece that you'll probably never play, and basically said, you know, it's a weird game. It it, it kind of makes people shy away from it. Um, just by the nature of what it is, but it's really, really, really good, and you're doing yourself a disservice by not playing it. So I was like, fine, we'll just we'll pull the trigger and do it. So um, we started playing Near Automata probably a, a couple of days ago, I think. Um, I think we've got like five or six episodes already recorded. They have to be edited still, but uh, you know, we're we're probably eh, four hours in, four or five hours in, something like that. Um, and it is. It's a weird game, but that's kind of the whole point of the Nier franchise. Um, I will say that Nier is not afraid to uh, be itself. It is absolutely very much full of personality. That is its main selling point, Um, second probably being the story. Uh, But graphically, it's on the PS4. It looks like a PS3 game. Um, so the graphics are very rough for what it is, um, for what the, the, the time that it came out in. But it is, it's the, the point is not to look fantastic. It's to set a mood. It's to set, you know, um, a certain type of gameplay experience. It's, a, you know, be a setting for a story. And that's what it executes on extremely well. Um, and the thing you have to know about Nier and, and Automata, respectively, because it's definitely the same kind of feel, is that you're going to watch probably clips of gameplay and it's going to look like your typical kind of overhead 
you know, running around an open field action RPG with RPG, you know, like Japanese RPG elements. Um, and that's part of it, but it's also trying to do a lot of other different kinds of gameplay and it executes all of them way better than you would expect them to. So many times you'll be running along and you kind of go up like a ladder and you're running along like a walkway. Well, the camera will pan to the side and lock to the side and the game will now play like a side scroller platformer. Um, all the controls are the same, but the camera is what kind of pushes you into this, like, okay, you're playing a, a platformer now. Um, the game actually opens up with you flying in and kind of this like exo air unit thing where you're just, you know, you've got like guns mounted to like some big jetpack thing. And the game starts off in like a bullet hell style game where there's kind of enemies floating up and you have to shoot at them while dodging like slow moving projectiles and, and that sort of thing. And that's how the game opens. And it's like a big top down. Um, that's like, and then it's like, okay, now we're going to switch to, you know, free range mode. Well, now it goes to like a 3D perspective, and now you can fly the little um, air unit around and, and shoot things. And then it turns into this like Star Fox, you know, you're dodging between, you know, you're like, like going through a tunnel and you have to like dodge like pipes and stuff in the tunnel um, before you finally smash through the wall and you're now in kind of that top down. Um, action combat game and this happens in the first 60 seconds of the game like it just throws you in and you're hit with like four different gameplay styles in the first two minutes and it's like what the hell's going on um but it's awesome like it's really really good like it feels good from like a game feel perspective um because it's just it's executed in a way that just feels natural and i'm not fighting with the controls it's just it just feels good you know um and that was that was true in Nier, but in Automata, it's that plus years of experience and polish. Like you can tell that he's he took uh, the 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 creator Yoko Taro took what he learned in Nier and then really compounded on it and made it much smoother and feel a lot better in Automata. So for someone that's coming from the perspective of playing the original Nier going to um, Automata, it's a vast improvement, um, and that's that's really fun. Story, I'm only a few hours in. I'm extremely invested in what's going on already. Um, just really interested. It's, 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 it's the kind of story where there's a very clear, this is obviously what's happening, but you kind of get hints of there's more going on under the surface, and you kind of have to figure it out as you go along. Um, and that grips you really, really well in the story. Like It's very if, clear. If you would say, like, briefly, what what would you say the story or the principle of the game, or the what is the what is the I guess the palette that the game is is on. Sure, sure. So uh, basically, aliens have invaded Earth. Humanity had to evacuate to the moon, and they build androids, which they're launching down to the surface of the Earth to fight off the aliens who are using these other machine life forms. And so you you play as these androids trying to kind of purge the world of these robots so the earth can be you know um inhabitable again by humans so once you get rid of them the humans can come back and we're we'll you know be all happy and that'll be the end of it um that's kind of the you know bare bones top level of the story but you know even a few hours in you're like uh, things don't seem like they're that simple um you know we, we aren't far enough to, to do spoilers but uh you know, it's 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 clear that there's way more to what's going on than just that. Yeah, it's it's going to be one of those games where 
of course, near being like you have to play it probably six times to get all the possible <laughs> endings. Um, but I think it's going to be one of those uh, plots kind of perspective perspective of who you're playing it from. They have the, you know, they're just doing their job. And then if you think of it from the Sheen's perspective, I mean, some of them are just sitting there, you know, quoting, what was it? Jean-Paul Jean Sartre, Jean existentialist. Jean-Paul Sartre and his, um, you know, his existence before essence existentialist question you know but i think it's one of those you're going to play it multiple times and the plot's probably going to change a few times and then you're probably still not going to really know <laughs> so well and that's how these games normally work like near for example you there's multiple endings and you are expected to play through the game multiple times um, i'm not sure how automata is going to work i would assume it's similar but for near you get about you go through the game, you know, and you get the ending A, and then it restarts you at about the halfway point in the game, and you get ending B, and then you restart again, and you get, you know, ending C and D. The ending A is usually very straightforward. Yay, you save the day. Um, and for Nier, ending B, it's the same gameplay, but you're given new information throughout the story, and it completely changes how you perceive what's actually going on. Um, to a point where it's like this isn't—it's the same game, but the way you interpret the story is vastly different. So you kind of get that insider look of what was actually going on, um, and then the multiple endings kind of give a little more insight to, to what's happening. And usually, you're forced to make a very hard decision um, to get the various endings and that sort of thing. So um, it's the kind of game where you have to be invested. Um, they will usually tell you everything by the end, but you're going to have to probably play through it a couple times for them to actually give it all to you because they want to deliver a certain experience based off of giving you very metered amounts of information. And they're going to change what they give you to change that experience over and over again. So that's that's kind of what I'm expecting from it. That's definitely how near was. Like ending A is great. Ending B, you're like, oh, this is actually really horrible. I'm a terrible person. And then for C and D, you're like, actually, it's way worse. I'm, I'm a really, really bad person. Um, it's not the kind of game that's going to make you feel great about what you're doing, but it does kind of make you question some of the things you just are used to doing in games. Um, it's a lot like Prey in that way, actually, where you, you look back and you're like, wow, I was actually really kind of being an ass this whole time. and didn't. I thought I was doing the right thing, and I wasn't. Um, and I... I I'm assuming Automata will be something similar because Nier was absolutely along those lines. Um, Livy, what did you think of the gameplay just from your perspective of not actually playing it, but seeing it, you know, from a, a third party? Um, it looked very good and quick because one of the guys that was working on it also worked with Tekken, you know, my opinion on Tekken, but I think it uh, looked like it changed with the different, you know, the top down, the side scrolling. I was getting first actually truth. No, <laughs> that's probably because I have vertigo issues. But um, I think the the fluid of the even the the fighting actually really nice to see as a person observing the fighting style. Of course, the added the fan service. You're playing as a hot uh, android woman, so I mean, there's there's that because it's a Japanese. They add game. the right bounce. <laughs> at the end of every move and i'm like, oh my oh, gosh please <laughs> but no i i like those yeah i mean the, the animations you know jokes aside are, are are very solid and that was actually kind of an issue the first near had was that it was it was very clunky like just you know it was rudimentary like college level animation it was it was not good um you can tell they had professionals doing doing this it's all very smooth very fast it all feels natural um the combat is I don't want to say Devil May Cry because it's not quite that intricate, but it kind of has that feel of where you're going to be 
switching between weapons and you've kind of got like a rapid fire gun you can use and some special attacks you can use um and you're kind of encouraged to change things up and the game will force you to change things up by making certain attacks you know um not work against certain enemies so you know it, it feels really good it looks really smooth um gameplay is quick it's very tight um it's definitely a huge improvement over um the original near so uh one question i usually get with these games are um do i have to play the original near to understand what's going on um the short answer is no uh Automata takes place approximately 7,000 years after the events of Nier, so it's it's a massive time skip to a point where um, what happened in Nier is not crucial to understanding the story um, of Automata. So if you just want to hop into Automata, you're not going to be lost. They give you enough exposition to understand what's going on, what do I have to do. You know, you, you're not going to feel lost. However, if you have played Nier, they drop really heavy references all the time. Like it's it's a nostalgia engine pretty much. Like it's like, oh my god, they're playing that song. Um and you can kind of make some conjecture of like, I wonder if they're hinting at this because they did this one thing or they said this one thing, because I know from my experiences in here um what saying that thing means. Um and so I, I I've been kind of trying to fill the in as we play, like, okay, well they did that, so I think that's what they're referencing, you know, here, because she hadn't played the original near. Um but it's not required, but if you've played it, you're going to have a real fun time playing Automata because it's, it's, they definitely go hand in hand, and they've done a good job at making that, that connection feel very, you know, very visceral without making it necessary. So I, do, I always do suggest if you're interested in Automata, do play the original Nier, but you don't have to. Um, you can also watch like one of those YouTube movies where they kind of chain all the cutscenes together. That's also a really good idea, um, just to kind of get the whole plot and understand kind of the tone that they're going for. Um, but what we have done is I've, I've put together, I got to kind of finish up the video. We'll, we'll release it kind of as an episode zero for the series when we start putting them out, but like a five minute, very bare bones, like. If you just want a five-minute quick explanation of what happened in Nier, here's what it is. Um, so at least you can kind of get caught up to speed in the very, very the broadest sense. Um, but like I said, I do suggest that if you can and have the time, play the original. It's like dirt cheap. Um, and Or if you don't have a PS3, you can just you know watch a video on YouTube, kind of either of a full gameplay playthrough or like a more in-depth summary that's going to be much more detailed than, than what I'm going to be giving you guys. Um, is, would you agree, Libby, that you, you don't feel lost um, not playing the original game? No, I don't. Um, there are some, there are, the only time I feel lost is when it comes, not without saying spoilers, just certain things that happen. Um, so like you said, just a brief what happened, but other than that, you kind of really nice to have in your <laughs> Yeah, and that's that's what I will say is that at the very least, um, watch, you know, episode zero of, of our our series just so you have at least the most basic understanding um but i do suggest you kind of look into it more if, if you like but at the very least you know take five minutes to get caught up because it is i think it will make things feel it, you'll understand it without it but i think you'll kind of put everything in a, in a nicer package and you can kind of understand what's actually going on so um that's the, that's kind of our thoughts on near automata um you know we'll, we're going to continue to to record that we've got alien isolation we've got amnesia and we've got this um all kind of going in tandem so once prey um is done kind of airing we've got a few more episodes left of that we'll start kind of pushing these out and you kind of see what we're talking about but uh you know initial impressions is i had high hopes for this game it's actually better than i expected um so really 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 good um i'm, I'm really enjoying it so far and in the reviews 
from what I can see, can be trusted that it is a very, very good game, even if it's very unorthodox. It's a weird game, but it's very good. So um, I do hope you guys check it out when we kind of start getting this episodes posted up on YouTube. Sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, it's not for everyone, and I, I even say that in our little recap, but it's 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 good if you can get your head around it and enjoy that sort of thing. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, just, I'm definitely going to try that out the next week or so. Cool, cool. cool. All right, so I think that's we're pretty good on time here, guys. So uh, you good for shout-outs? Take that as a yes. Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, my shout-out is actually going to relate back to uh, Prey, uh, the, the game we, where we were finishing up for our, our last dungeon crawl. Uh, it is on Amazon on sale for 20 bucks for PC and Xbox. I think PS4 is $27. Um, it's a good game. You should go get it. I really, really enjoy the work that the guys over there did making Prey. It's a fantastic experience. So I do suggest you go pick it up. So that's my shout-out. Zell? Um, I am going to be talking more about it in a future week, but I am giving a shout out to Star Citizen for giving me something fun to run around on um, and many more ships that I can fly. Um, it was, of course, conveniently, conveniently with quotes, um, timed uh, around there that they pushed it out to a lot more people right before their anniversary sale where they have two new ships you can buy, one of which which is priced at the in the fun $550 level. Um, AK, I'm not touching it, but it looks cool. Um, so, uh, yeah, shout out to that for finally coming out something that was expected in August. All right. Sounds good. Livy, you're up. Oh, you're killing me. Shame on you. I know. It's so Probably... horrible that somebody doesn't have a no, shout out. No, right don't be I do. I do. I do. <laughs> a shout out to, um, the, oh, and I forgot the name of it. The Mill Avenue. What is it? The Harkins Camel Theater. Um, for working hard to trying to get up to date anime, forms. I'm pretty sure. And I mean that this one's really up to date. I think it was put out last month, last week, weeks ago. Um, was it last week? I think it was the 19th, so maybe week, week and a half. Okay, it's crazy for um, Fate's Day. Help me out with it, because I'm going to make it sound uh, really bad. <laughs> Heaven's Heaven's Feel is the Heaven's name of the. Feel. Yeah. <laughs> um, for the Fate series, and I, it was very good. I can't wait to see the second part, so I'm hoping they're going to get it because I do like supporting that one. It's a local theater on Tempe campus. Has what they say, Mill Avenue, is a uh, I don't know historic district of Arizona State University, and so every uh, rental space there is you know very expensive, but it's you know, they work their arses off to keep their space and that whole avenue. So every time you get a chance to support someone down there, it's it's nice to see it's still alive with everything popping up it, trying to, you know, suck the life out of it. Cool, cool. All right, Jay, you're up. Okay, I've got a very special shout out to uh, two unknown Destiny players by the name of Dimitri in Paris. So, no shit, there I was. 2100 hours, game time. Kids have gone to bed. Everything's ready to go. I'm like, I am going to try the Leviathan raid. I started a guided game. They're not joking about the 45-minute wait time if you're if you're asking for help, by the way. So, no shit. There I was at 9.45, a.k.a. 45 minutes later. I get picked up by a group, uh, mostly all in the same group. They've clearly been playing, playing with each other uh, before. Um, younger than me, generally probably around Bates age or less. A brother and a sister, sister named Paris, brother Dimitri. Um, and they were using their real names, not their screen names. So I've got to tell you, we, we were horrible in the raid. I got no further than like the, the little dog area, which I guess the first area of the raid. 
but the conversations between those two was phenomenal. It was well worth the price of entry and like the hour plus that we messed around in the raid before everybody like had to quit and their mom yelled at him to get offline. So Paris is clearly the older sister, smarter and a phenomenal and actually a very, fairly talented, fairly talented gamer. She was, she was on point brother Dimitri, not so much. So highlights of the, of the evening, Dimitri, you died again. What the fuck are you doing? Dimitri, just stand here. No, Dimitri, you can't do this. And you wonder why why I got better report cards than you, Dimitri. That was one of my favorites, by the way. <laughs> oh damn! Oh my god! I, I mean, and this kid is just taking it. He he's like Rocky getting clubbed in the face by Dolph Lundgren. It's it's just you could hear just shot after shot going in. He's like, it's not my fault. I didn't. Then the then the, the sister goes, and she can't be more than a year or two older than this guy, if at all. She's like, do I need to come in your room and show you how to do this? It's like, oh my god, it, and it's very clear everybody else in the group has is used to this. I'm not. I'm just. I am. I am dying laughing. And then, and then Paris swings over and goes, Jay, you're good on the right side of the room, right? You got this. I was like, absolutely. I'm all good, Paris. No problem. <laughs> I was like, Roger that. I was like, I, I, you know, I got into my serious business, like my voice, my voice, uh, my work voice, so to speak, and. Uh, it was funny. So I start calling, you know, I start basically like, okay, well, I'm going to have to treat this fairly seriously. So I don't get like actual just fucking throat punched by a 14 year old girl. <laughs> so, but just it, the stuff that was coming out of her mouth and just the way she was absolutely crushing her brother, this poor kid, Dimitri. I, I, I don't know what their life is like, but I can only imagine that poor Dimitri who for the record did not seem very bright, but he seemed like a nice kid. Uh, I don't know what he's going to be when he grows up, but it's probably going to be a professional sports referee or, or something that requires him to be yelled at a lot and have basically no emotion and just take it. So shout, shout out to Paris and Dimitri. Oh, that is fantastic. <laughs> I wish I could have been there. <laughs> okay. Good stuff, guys. Uh, good show. So I just want to thank everyone for tuning in. Um, thank you. If you watch our dungeon crawl series, we always appreciate the feedback on that or the show. Uh, and yeah, so we'll see you next week and everyone have a safe week out there.